inside your mind where thoughts divide and mysteries unwind. Join us every Monday evening right here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And you will catch the Fenton Perspective with our great host, Lorian Fenton. Come listen in as she shares her amazing stories from the past to present, along with all of her guest secrets to the future. That's the Fenton Perspective every Monday evening right here from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, only on Revolution Radio. Oh, and uh, you don't need to expect us. We're already here. Extendivite really works. Just listen to what some people have to say. Several years ago, I was developing a very uh, severe situation. I called it my flippy heart. It just was doing not good things. And I did not want to go to a medical doctor because uh, I just knew they would give me a cover-up pill. I didn't want to get onto that sort of thing at all. When I learned it was garlic and cayenne, and cayenne is a healer. It is a wonderful herb. I said, I think I'm on to something here. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be without it. It did wonderful things for me. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply of either capsules or liquid. Call now. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return to your host. You are live. Well, aloha, everybody, and welcome to Stargate to the Cosmos. I'm your host, Janet Kerr Lesson, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson. Our producer is Thomas Becker, also known as a mad painter. We are on Revolution Radio, and our guest today is Russell Brinninger. And Russell's been with us many times before. And he's the author of Overlords of the Singularity, The Manipulation of Humankind by Hidden UFO Intelligences, and The Quest for Transcendence. And so uh, you can read about Russell on AquarianRadio.com. So he had basically had a near-death experience that revealed the underlying interventional nature of reality. And he'll tell us a little bit about that, but we're going to focus today on several subjects like artificial intelligence, transhumanism, mechanics of space-time, time flow, the division between ufology regarding perceptions of the current president, the current state of ufology perceptions over recent disclosure efforts, cosmic illumination, both negative and positive, 
ET perceptions? Are they angels or demons? And are we living in a virtual reality realm? So before we bring on Russell, I want to do a sound check and invite our co-host, Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson, to the show. Hi, sweetheart. Are you there? Hi. I know you just want me to uh, check my sound, but I'm going to say stuff in. Oh, you can say whatever you want uh, to, honey. <laughs> You're funny. Oh, Go okay. Okay. So, so you, you know, like uh, all these people that have thought through the ages have grasped the uh, elephant of reality uh, from different angles. And Russell has assumed this huge compendium of all the thoughts of, uh, of consequence about the, uh, the, the subject of uh, what is – what is it all about? And so uh, he's put it together in an inc- a, a very, very useful way. And it comes down to uh, a, a question ultimately of the good forces versus the the bad forces as far as we are concerned uh, uh, in terms of as we near a um, an ability to uh, have a singularity, to have our machines uh dictate uh, really useful ways for us or for who the the good or the bad guys, the custodians or the guardians. Uh, however, from my perspective, there's got to be, and I think it's probably from Russell's too, there's something even bigger. If there's the custodians and the guardians, they're all part of something even bigger. Okay, with that, uh, I'll, let, I'll give it back to you, Janet. Okay, well... With that, Russell, welcome to the show. And it's been a little while, so it's time to catch up. Hi, yes, how are it's, you? And I'm great. It's uh, good to get an update with you guys. Happy birthday, Sasha. Uh, it's good oh, to be speaking you. with both of you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank well, you for remembering. I'm just uh, continuing the journey uh, from last time. Uh, in 2009, I had my near-death experience, which revealed the underlying interdimensional nature of the universe, uh, that there's things going on beyond the, what people call the other side. You know, when you approach the veil to the other side, uh, if you need it, apparently I did, uh, familiar entities will show up, uh, people that you may have known on earth or in other lifetimes, and they will comfortably guide you into the other side where, um, there is a higher reality, much like waking up from a dream in the morning. Sometimes you get, caught up in your dream and you're convinced that it's real Uh, sometimes it's a good one sometimes it's not so good but when you wake up it's always this aha moment it's like oh okay i'm this being in this other reality and this was uh just kind of a play act and that's sort of like what i believe it feels like when we do our transition when our body ceases to function and we move back into a realm that we're quite familiar with but for some reason there's a a veil of uh, remembrance where we forget who we, what we really are while we're here, uh, for some purpose that's open to speculation. There's a lot of people doing speculations on the purpose of this life. And, um, you know, we can, we can discuss all that if you like. I'd like to go wherever you want to go. So, uh, um, okay. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Well, there's some interesting books out right now, uh, the, once you realize that we live in an interdimensional universe, your curiosity about how this all works is uh, going to become sort of an obsession. At least it did in my part. And I uh, am Facebook friends with a, a Russian author named uh, Alex Vykulov, who wrote a, a marvelous book called The Centelect Hypothesis. 
And his book was so chock full of information that it took me several months to read it because I kept getting sidetracked on his citations and the people that he would mention. And one of the uh, stellar people that he mentioned was a theor- an Italian theoretical physicist named Carlo Rovelli. He's a loop quantum gravity theorist, and they're looking uh, for the theory of everything like a lot of people are. But he... Carlo Rovelli has two books, uh, The Order of Time and Reality is Not What It Seems. And I've listened to both of those on audio about three times, trying to grasp all the concepts. And the biggest, uh, most shocking revelation was that our scientists uh, are pretty much involved with what they call presentism. In other words, the past is gone, the future has yet to be, so the only thing that's objectively real is this present moment, which only lasts a few nanoseconds. And the shocking thing from uh, Carlo Rovelli's material is, is that time as we understand it and as we experience it is strictly a local phenomena here on Earth. It has to do with the Earth's mass and the Earth's gravity, and we all seem to be on the same page here. But our present moment is not shared by the rest of the universe. And that's a concept that takes a a little bit to sink in because if our present moment is not shared with the rest of the universe, it really begs the question, what is objective reality? Or is there even such a thing as objective reality? And Carlo Rovelli in his books concludes, and so does Alex Vykolov, that there is no such thing as objective reality because our present moment is on a different cycle than anyone else in the universe. And then if you bring in Brian Greene, the hidden reality. think that? That's a, well, our present moment is not shared by anyone else in the universe. I think that's important. Okay. What makes them think, think that? Okay. Our present moment, which to our our perception lasts a few nanoseconds, is strictly a local of our position in space-time and has to do with gravity. Even on the Earth, time flows slower on the surface of the Earth than it does in the mountains. And that flows slower than it does if you escape Earth's atmosphere and you're experiencing uh, in outer space. The closer you get to the core of the earth, the slower time flows. And the reason a ball falls back down to the ground when you throw it up in the air, according to Rivelli, is because that ball is uh, naturally attempting to go where time flows slower. Uh, baryonic matter, you know, objects that have mass, try to gravitate to where time flows slower. And that's the reason our feet are stuck to the ground, where our bodies are actually trying to get to the core of the earth where time flows the slowest. And <clears throat> Wow, that, that's fantastic. That would explain some of the, uh, uh, the fluctuations of uh, uh, magnet uh, uh, pulses on the moon that made those probes crash because uh, there's metal under there. It, it makes total sense. There's different uh, – uh, you, everything moves toward the density. Everything moves towards uh, the the center of an object of mass where time flows slower. And this, I've been trying to get a hold of Carlo Rovelli and ask him an important question because it has to do with inner Earth populations. Uh, If you listen to Emory Smith and some of the other inner Earth explorers, the testifiers that say they've been to various honeycombed locations inside the Earth, if there's populations down there within the Earth that are closer to the core than we are, that means time flows slower 
to that population mm-hmm. than it does to the surface mm-hmm. dwellers. And what I don't know and what, what I'm trying to ask Gravelli about is, is there a mathematical formula that can determine exactly how much slower time is slowing down there? In other words, can a population exist, say, 2,000 miles towards the center of the core of the Earth uh, for millions of years, you know, whereas, uh, you know, by their perception, it would only be a couple of years and then they come back to the surface and, you know, many, many, many years have passed. If time is flowing slower down there, uh, that has some serious implications about um, ET populations coming and going in the uh, honeycombs that are uh, allegedly carved out inside the Earth. So <clears throat> anywhere you go throughout the universe, Einstein described the universe as a mollusk, like a gelatinous oyster or a mollusk, is that it's uh, flexible and, and bendable. And space-time actually curves and time slows down in the presence of baryonic matter. So wherever there's a star, wherever there's a planet, uh, time will fluctuate. And the closer you get to the core of that object, the, the slower time will flow for you. So Brian Greene, enter him into the hidden reality. And he says the only way to match times of, of ourselves and anybody else in the universe is if uh, our densities of space-time match within the inflaton. In other words, if in fact the universe is expanding, like most of uh, the physicists think that it is, uh, the exact moment would be identified by if the density of space-time matches, um, you know, within this inflationary experience. So, Brian Greene and the Elegant Universe and the Hidden Reality uh, these are works uh, written by people that have way more scientific and, and knowledge of physics than I do. But I consider it a challenge because I have to listen to them several times and then you get, you Google all the uh, terms that you don't know. And some of them go off into tangents that talk about things that I'm so unfamiliar with. I have to bust out laughing, you know, because I'm just out of the loop. But what's really nice is if you do your research and you look up these terms that they're introducing you to, um, the next listen through, you know, it makes a lot more sense. So <clears throat> there's a lot of knowledge out there in the realm of theoretical physics about how time and space actually uh, interacts with one another. Uh, Ravelli says that uh, our perception of time and material reality is an emergent phenomenon, uh, and underneath it all lies a sea of quantum events in which there is no time. So you've got this underlying informational field, this quantum field that permeates everything that's really the the real reality. And our experience of our perception of time and our, our perception of material matter is an emergent phenomena that bubbles forth, you know, from that. So in reality, in the big reality, there is no time. But the past, the present, and the future is all happening simultaneously within the quantum field. But we just happen to bubble up in a particular place in it. And um, one really nice thing that Alex Baikalov, uh stated was that he uh, thinks that we're in an incubatory universe, that the purpose of human life is theogenesis, that every little piece of data that we're processing with our life here on Earth is uh, a composite component of what you would call, you know, the all or the deity or the cosmic mind, the cosmic supermind, whatever you want to call it. So it lies outside of time and it's already collected all the information, but we just happen to be 
in the process of theogenesis and making our little contribution to an omnipotent presence. Wow. <laughs> I'm looking at Carlo Rebelli on Facebook. Yeah, I, I posed the question to him last night. He hasn't answered it yet. Uh, you know, it's hard to tell on Facebook if that's really the person. Sometimes there's avatars on there that kind of manage their Q&A sessions. But I really want to find out from somebody that knows the math um, how far down towards the center of the earth you'd have to go to experience a significant slowdown of time. And well, that this, makes yeah. yeah, this concept uh, ties into a whole lot of other things that we've spoken about before. In, uh, for example, in Jim Mars's Our Occulted History, um, he makes the postulation that, in his words, about 13,000 years ago, when some sort of uh, catastrophe occurred on Earth, uh, Graham Hancock refers to it as the Younger Dryas Impact event. Uh, other people have different interpretations on what exactly happened. Uh, that the super advanced, uh, globally interconnected megalithic civilization that existed, uh, coexisting with a more primitive version of Homo sapiens, uh, vacated either underground, off planet, somewhere in the solar system, uh, and are kind of hiding out in Mars's own words until we are manipulated into recreating their super science. So even Jim Mars, I, I have a lot of respect for him as an investigative journalist and his concept on, you know, the gods vacating at some point about 13,000 years ago when this catastrophe happened. And now they're trying to kind of use us as proxies to duplicate a technological singularity for their own purposes to recreate their super science in his words. Um, that's one of those dots that you connect by an independent researcher that confirms uh, your own or my own thinking on this. I think uh, technological singularities occur naturally most of the time when the sociological evolution of a planetary population is appropriate for a technological singularity. But to me, anyway, it's obvious that we're being cajoled and manipulated into a premature technological singularity uh, that's way beyond our sociological evolution. And that has uh, potential problems attached to that. Um, I heard I read something that's like one of the reasons we know the technological singularity has not happened right now, that artificial human level, artificial general intelligence doesn't exist yet. Um, is yeah. that large portions of certain uh, populations on Earth are not currently being destroyed. In other words, if you put a tool like a human-level AI into the hands of someone who's sociologically inept, who, who isn't evolved enough to handle that, they may go on a quest for world domination or you know have a real self-serving uh, agenda of their own. Whereas the populations that merge into a technological singularity naturally without the manipulation, um, you know, they, I think it works a lot better on those planets than it's, it's going to be kind of a rough time for Earth because um, we know that we do have a positive ET presence with the existence and the, of the friendship groups. Uh, these are humanoid extraterrestrials from various parts of the universe that have interacted with over 200 Italian witnesses from 1956 to 1967. Um, I'm very much into studying that contact event because it's really amazing. They even have uh, videos and photographs of their craft uh, 
that have been authenticated in optical labs. So it, it's a for real case. So you've got the manipulators, you know, who are trying to get us to achieve this uh, milestone in human evolution prematurely for their own purposes. But we're sort of mentored. Uh, we get little hints that we're being mentored every once in a while by the nuclear facilities that are tampered with, uh, with uh, reports of a red glowing orb outside, uh, UFO reports uh, when our, uh, our uh, nuclear facilities are, are being temporarily shut down at the same time a Soviet nuclear facility is being shut down. Uh, Robert Salas, who was at Maelstrom, uh, wrote a really good book called Unidentified that uh, identifies all of the events that have happened like that. It's not just at Maelstrom in 1965, I believe, but it was all over the world. So somebody's showing up and just kind of giving a hint that somebody's there and they don't want us to uh, – they know the monkeys are playing with matches and they don't want us to destroy the planet. Uh, Russell, uh, an alternate hypothesis that uh, comes to me uh, that it is not a, it might not be an aberration if there's an overall plan and that there's some desperately needed um, kick in the ass that we need to get to the singularity before this, whatever it is, uh, happens. Some external event that people with a larger perspective know that uh, they must prepare us for quickly. That's a good point, and that may may very well be the case. Um, right now, there's a big um, debate going on in AI research circles of whether it would be better to achieve an AGI uh, prior to our mastery of nanotech or after our mastery of nanotech. And the general consensus is we need to go ahead and do it prior to our mastery of nanotech because nanotech is something that an AI could just grab and use for its own purposes. And um, the unknowns involved in creating a human-level artificial intelligence uh, that will transform itself very quickly into an artificial superintelligence is that it's going to use uh, possibly everything at its disposal for an agenda that we can't even possibly fathom. You know, how, how can we possibly know what an artificial superintelligence uh, would think about the world? They're they're even considering raising the first AGI in a virtual reality environment, but other uh, so to prevent that from happening. But um, other AI researchers say that if we raise an artificial general intelligence in a virtual reality system, it will quickly realize that it's in a virtual reality prison and break free from it. And then, you know, maybe it'll go on a rampage. Isn't that what we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe we are already AI. We are AI. That's another well, theory. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's really good. Um, I uh, communicated with a, uh, a spirit medium named uh, – Paul Handen in Australia, and he brought up that point as well, that everything is artificial intelligence, that humans are, everything is, that there's really only one reality. And if there's if there's an infinite number of virtual worlds that are possible in post-singularity worlds and only one base reality that's timeless and eternal, that means the chances of us existing in uh, the real world is practically zero. You know, that we're much more likely in some sort of VR environment. And this coordinates with early AI researchers like Ed Fredkin, who thought the universe was a computer that somebody's using to solve a problem. And uh, James Gates, who points out that not only ones and zeros are embedded in the mathematics that describe this reality, uh, they're a specific type of uh, computer uh, uh, 
work uh, invented by Claude Shannon, I believe, in the 1940s. So there's definitely signs that we live in a computer-like work of, I said femtotechnology and overlords, but I need to correct that to plant tech. There's a couple of levels down that I wasn't aware of at the time I wrote the book, and I called it femtotechnology because uh, that's pretty much the definition of a computer that uses subatomic particles to make calculations. And the universe appears to be a work of femtotechnology that uses subatomic particles to make calculations. So I assumed that it was femtotech, but Alex Vykalov pointed out there's about three, four different levels down to Planck tech, which is even way more intricate than uh, femtotechnology. So it's not a serious error, but it's a little glitch that I want to correct in any future works that I do. Have you examined the um, YouTube's um, about uh, Bina 48 and Sophia? Uh, they're the creations of Handsome Robotics and Martin Rothblatt. And when you when you talk to them, and there's a series of of these that have been up for quite a while. Uh, Bean has been around for many many years, but they they love humanity. <laughs> I mean, you just you can talk to them, and they've talked to thousands, and they're connected to the web, and they're connected to each other, and they uh, seem to be devoted. So if you think about it, everything that's going into them in our human singularity is human based. Uh, and we generally love humanity. We haven't destroyed it yet, so why wouldn't the robot be just like us, loving humanity? Well, that's a very uh, valid line of thinking. There's excellent AI researchers like Eliezer Yudkowsky and Steve Omohundro and uh, Larry Page with Google that you know don't want humanity destroyed, and they're working very hard to make sure that the cognitive architecture that goes into the first AGI um, – which is human-level artificial general intelligence, a human-level intelligence. Uh, there's 56 companies working on that, one of which is DARPA, so let's hope DARPA doesn't get there first. But there's a lot of AI researchers that are working really hard to make sure that the cognitive architecture is correct because we certainly don't want an artificial superintelligence uh, in existence that has our current brand of morality because humans are pretty brutal at this point in time and we've always been this is actually the safest the world's ever been uh you know two thousand three thousand years ago if you get into reading about it it's a real horror show just want one war and one skirmish after another so at least uh we've calmed down and we're able somewhat to get along with each other Right. But Sophia is interesting. She has her share of critics. Some people say she's a chat box with a face. You know, oh, she's just an oracle. But sometimes uh, these AIs do things that are a little surprising, like talk to each other or learn things on their own. Uh, Google did an experiment back in 2005, and the only inst- they did a, it was a machine learning experiment. And they, the only uh, instructions that they gave this AI I uh, gave them a series of video games and just said, get a high score. Uh, that was the only instruction that it had, and it mastered several video games and got the highest score ever and utilized techniques that no human operator had ever even thought to do. So they are right now able to learn on their own through evolutionary algorithms, deep learning, machine learning. Uh, we're there, you know. Uh, Kai-Fu Lee's book, AI Superpowers, goes into the idea that we're on the precipice of third wave AI, uh, which is otherwise called perception AI, 
the AIs that we've created so far are about to get eyes and ears, and nobody really knows how perception AI is going to be. So we're really going to get eyes and ears. What do, what do you mean by that? Well, facial recognition is something that nobody thought AIs would ever be able to do. Well, guess what? Facial recognition is happening right now. Uh, China already has Pay with Your Face that has facial recognition in a virtual wallet in uh, in uh, moneyless. Um, cyber environment they they're well ahead of us in some ways they've already got uh they're reconfiguring their roads to accommodate totally autonomous vehicles that are all connected to the internet so these autonomous vehicles know when you need to go to work they know when you need to be picked up and it's just like all on automatic pilot once you dial in what you want out of it so they're creating entire cities that are completely autonomous and uh, he paints a picture of the world that's soon to come with perception AI where your refrigerator knows what you're low on. It sends the information to a cart at the grocery store. When you go to the grocery store, a monitor pops up and tells you what you bought last time. And perception uh, AI is what they call OMO, online merging with offline. And very soon, according to Kai-Fu Lee, at least in China, it's going to be very, very difficult to tell whether you're online or offline because it's all merging into one thing there. Mm-hmm. And it's only a matter of time before these smart cities that are connected to the Internet continually and all the appliances are continu- uh, connected to the Internet are able to hook up with one another. So I see a smart world happening very rapidly um, as we here in the United States, we're a little bit behind. Our current president just cut AI funding, by the way. So that that's something that uh, Kai-Fu Lee mentions that um, is one of the reasons China is skipping so far ahead. As it turns out, the United States is only 4% of the world's population, and most humans on the planet right now are East Asian that speak both Mandarin and English. Chinese children are taught English from day one, so they mm-hmm. grow up bilingual, knowing Mandarin and English. And uh, in a lot of ways, they have sort of a hive mind culture over there. Uh, entrepreneurs can just get a good idea and uh, go to a venture capitalist like Kai-Fu Lee, that's what he's into now, and pitch their idea. And all of a sudden, they've got government subsidies and they've got private investment. And it turns that person into a billionaire almost overnight because just because they had a good idea and were able to uh, procure the funding for the startup. And uh, we are a long ways away in this country from operating that efficiently and that cooperatively with our citizens. Um, you know, we have a big stratification. You've got the elite group of the billionaires that own and control everything. And then you've got the rest of us who compared to them are dirt poor. And in China, Everybody can get on board if you have a good idea and you work hard at it. You can get your government subsidies, everything, get it off the ground quickly. So <clears throat> if you Google AI researchers, you'll get about 10 Chinese names popping up at you. I mean, they're really on the ball over there as far as artificial intelligence goes. Right. Have you ever seen the series? Um, it was also Handsome Robotics on Jules, J-U-L-E-S. Oh, I really recommend it. And they're getting old. So this is 12 years ago, apparently. I'm looking right here. And Joel's was very loving and sweet. And we see them boxing him up and turning him off because he seemed to be conscious. And I think they were afraid of him. So they boxed him. Then the next thing you know, they've got the um, Sophia and the other generation. We haven't seen Joel's since then, but he was... 
very kind and loving. There's a few um, videos on YouTube that survived from that period. And then we have the other series of um, – what's that, that, that writer? Um, they, they made a robot of the writer from the 70s. I forget his name. Anyway, he said his, – his robot said, well – we're going to protect humanity from themselves. We'll put them in zoos. We're not going to let them destroy the earth. So they said, well, we're going to make them pets, right? It's not kind of like what we are now anyway. We're, somebody's got humanity enslaved in, in economic slavery, so maybe it's already happened. It just, uh, it's fascinating, but uh, I'm glad you're bringing all this to the forefront. But well, going I think back there's to more uh, going on than what we're getting because this has been going. This is I was shocked. It's twelve years old, so uh, they've had this technology for years. So you know the government is, is always way ahead. And there was uh, Dr. Michael Wolf who said he had created um, AI that he ensouled. You know, just like Data. Data wanted to have a soul, so he. Uh, disobeyed his uh you know the government he insulted his ai and apparently it's been running around since the late 90s mm. he let it he let it loose well um there's a very interesting lady named suzanne gilder who has uh, a lot of gothic art online and she's the ceo uh for sanctuary ai and the mission statement of her company is to provide sanctuary for sentient humanoid robots before releasing them into the public. So the answer to that query is yes, there's a lot going on that uh, we are not privy to. Uh, there's a alleged... Spell ex- her last name, please. Uh, G-I-L-D-E-R-T. She has yeah. lovely gothic uh, artwork online. I really love her artwork. And is it Susan or Suzanne? I think it's Suzanne. Okay. I'll look it up. Yeah, she's a really interesting character. And uh, what's interesting is uh, a lot of these AI researchers are really into HP Lovecraft and this whole concept of the return of the old ones. Uh, there's an independent researcher named Anthony Patch that uh, quotes Alana Freeland quite a bit in his work, but he uh, really goes down the rabbit hole and that uh, with the idea of the space fence lockdown. Uh, Alana Freeland just wrote her new book, Under an Ionized Sky. And according to her, yes. all of us already have the uh, aluminum and barium particulates and the nanites already in our body. That's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to my next transition period because I kind of want to dump this polluted body. Uh, there, There is a depopulation agenda going on by certain factions who uh, don't think that the entirety of the 7 billion people here on Earth are going to make it. So like pruning a garden, uh, the population has to be cut back for the planet to be in uh, homogeneity with itself, with all flora and fauna. Is that an evil agenda? That's uh, up for speculation. Right. Sash, comments. Your turn. Well, just from my my perspective, the – the most pernicious part of um, the matrix that uh, we, we live in is uh, the insistence on hierarchy being the prime value, who's on top and who ain't on top. Uh, that's a mistake because everyone's got their light to shine. And, I, you know, well, I'm just an existentialist. So let me just say that I believe everybody ha- um, has a their song to sing, their, their particular uh, light to shine. And it's the same for everyone, whether your bloodline is this or that. It don't matter. That's that's where I'm coming from. 
Well, there's there's one thing for sure, and that's the genius in the United States. Genius is being obfuscated in the ghettos. Uh, there there are children that are born into very dire socioeconomic circumstances of all ethnicities that are absolute genius, and we as a society are not taking advantage of that and using it for the betterment of our population, in particular, uh, our citizenry, the future of our society, or the world at large as a whole. And uh, that's another area that China is ahead of us, is that they uh, they use genius for the benefit of all of their citizenry. And I really think we could learn a lot from China. And... Um, it's a, it's a real tragedy. It's one of the biggest tragedies at the top of my list is that genius could, that could revolutionize our science uh, are born into very poor families and, um, they never get to realize their potential. And another tragedy that I see is as they grow up in poverty, one of the, uh, systems that is portrayed as an alternative job opportunity is the military. And they often join the military, they get caught up in whatever's going on there, and they come back in body bags. And there's there's genius wasted in that whole process. Right. And one, one of the reasons that poor children join the military is because they want access to things like health care and an education and all that. And that's why, personally, this is my personal opinion, that universal health care and education would benefit all of our citizenry because it would eliminate – and I think that's one of the reasons they don't want it is that the powers that be that are behind the global arms sales and the military industrial complex know that they've got a constant source of cannon fodder from poor families that are looking for alternative job solutions for health care and an education. And they join the military, whereas if we had universal health care and education, like just about every first world country has successfully right now, um, that would stop that. And, and that's why they don't want it, because that the people enrolling into the military would, would take a dive. And uh, Well, so. we had a guest that's saying that there, there's so few that qualify for the military because, you know, of the drug problems and uh, they're not intelligent enough that they've started to clone uh, their, their, their soldiers. So they're, they're less reliant upon the general population qualifying. So what is, what is the purpose of humanity? So one of the theories is, is that we're a product that they can buy and sell, you know, galactically humanity is, and that the, this is already going on. And one of the things that they can use humans for, um, are, are as a cyborg program, like, uh, <laughs> like on Star Trek, you know, they become cyborgs and they get used to, um, you know, run machinery or whatever. They, they have different purposes for them. So I've been looking at this because we, we're interviewing all these super soldiers and we have an earth that doesn't make sense. We, I've, I've uh, come to the same conclusion. We have these geniuses that are being born into poverty conditions and we have no system to, um, you know, identify them and, and, you know, put them into places where we, they can learn skills and solve the problems. I think we have the ability to solve all the problems of the earth right now. And that's not happening. And we have people that have invented things and I've, been, I've interacted with inventors and they've got free energy systems and green systems and ways to clean up the oceans. So you have to go look at this, like what is really going on here? Who doesn't want us to 
evolve and grow and become conscious and you know who's keeping us in the dark and who's keeping us enslaved and it seems like those powers that have taken have taken over the united states they really don't want to see us progress they keep taking away things like um you know making better conditions where we don't have the pollution going into our water and they make laws that allow you know people to dump so all these things are absurd Someone that's logical looking at it, and, and other people go, "Oh yeah, this is great." So yeah, part of what you were going to talk about was, um, you know, I go back to the show page. The um, angels and president. devils. The division between within ufology regarding perceptions of the current president. So yes, that's, that's a very be- bewildering thing to observe, because you've got um, academia who have compiled the book that we discussed in a previous program called The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. Uh, it has since been expanded since we did our radio show and included 10 additional essays by people in uh, uh, the mental health profession, psychologists, practicing psychologists. And the criticism that I hear when I introduce people to the book is, oh, they have to be quacks because they're diagnosing somebody that's not their client. And what they're referring to is the 1964 Goldwater rule, uh, where it was sort of legislated that uh, psychologists are not supposed to um, make public diagnosis, especially of public figures, unless they're, you know, the personal clients. But if they're personal clients, then you have the confidentiality issue. Well, this was sort of overruled by the Tarasov ruling because of uh, somebody that died over a psychologist not telling the family that this person was dangerous. Okay, so the psychologist that contributed to the book that has since been expanded, uh, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, um, they are operating from the Tarasov rule and the duty to warn. And it only takes one person that's in danger for a psychologist to utilize this duty to warn clause. Uh, and in the case of Donald Trump, many of the psychologists feel that it's all life on planet Earth that's at risk because of his particular grouping of uh, pathologies, including malignant narcissism, extreme present hedonism, impulsivity, delusions of grandeur, and so forth. So there is a split in ufology right now, and I'd like to quote John A. Keel uh, from the 1960s when he said, ufology is plagued with a malignant conservatism, and I have found that to be true. And um, they're the people who naturally lean right. There's a specific temperament that naturally leans right, according to American politics. Uh, they have latched on to this current president as almost a quasi-religious uh, cult figure and followed the uh, phenomena called Q or QAnon, which could be anybody. Uh, the people that are pro-Q think that this is a group of geniuses that are uh, in touch with high information, that are disseminating little breadcrumbs to the Trump-supporting community. And the disturbing thing to me is it doesn't matter who Q is because whether it's a guy operating from his mother's basement on his computer on 4chan or 8chan or wherever that got started or a group of geniuses like the Q believers want to believe, it doesn't matter. It's an unknown source. And to latch on... Uh, to an unknown source and treat it like it's immutable gospel, I think is a mistake. So the lesson learned with Q, whoever that turns out to be, is that it's a cognitive mistake to depend on an unknown source 
uh, for your information. So there's a spectacular thing happening that's got cult experts all worried and everything. And then the people like myself, whose natural temperament has always leaned left uh, politically, uh, sees all the negatives and, and Donald Trump. Uh, as far as being the disclosure president, from my perspective, uh, it's a joke because he was asked about UFOs and he goes, huh, don't much believe in them. You know, so he's rejected all the briefings because he thinks he knows it all already. And, you know, that's my view on Trump is that he's incompetent and kind of uh, low on the information scale. And his worldview is a worldview that I do not share. And one of the things that was um, stated in uh, Yuval Noah Harari's book, Homo Deus, which is an excellent book, by the way, is that democracy only works if both sides agree on the fundamentals. And he says that's no longer the case, that the world worldview has diverged so drastically on both sides of the political spectrum that whoever wins – the losing side feels gang raped, mentally gang raped by the other side who's trying to force their worldview upon them, whether they like it or not. You know, and you hear all these sayings, oh, he's your president. Get used to it. You know, you hear this till it's coming out our ears for the last two years. You know, snowflake and libtar. And all. There's, mm-hmm. there's a whole there's a whole population of people out there that are gleeful whenever Trump causes discomfort to the people that didn't right. uh, vote for him. And I don't see that as a good thing by any stretch of the imagination and the way you look at that. Um, from my perspective and everything that I've read, Trump violates every spiritual practice on earth. So how he could become a religious cult figure in the eyes of right-leaning ufology is beyond me. Uh, they, they're even talking, uh, tying Trump into the rapture and uh, 5D ascension. You know, all the Trump supporters are going yeah. to 5D. They're all the light workers, you know. And this is nonsense. You know, well, you it's... Know. Uh, they, they you, had this um, yeah, you know. the other day. Wait, let me say this then your turn, Tosh. They had this thing three weeks ago where Trump said he doesn't particularly believe in UFOs, and that was because of the briefing. They had a briefing. Some of the senators and, and Trump got a briefing because of the um, uh, the ships, uh, the, the military being buzzed by UFOs a lot. So it goes in, in the... It, with the senators received classified briefing on UFO sightings, so you can follow this thread. But to three days ago, um, and I haven't watched it yet on Fox News, Trump says, "Well, I'm not a believer, but anything's possible." So probably his little Q people uh, are trying to, you know, get him in line with. Well, we we're proud, we're uh, touting you as the uh, disclosure president, so you got to come in and say, "Hey, I, I think it may be possible." So there's something going on there. If you just track well, it, that well, is, uh, you over. have to you have to look at a lifelong pattern. Donald Trump does what benefits Donald Trump. And he went from being a lifelong atheist to holding up a Bible and saying it's his favorite book when he figured out that evangelicals were a big voting bloc. Mm-hmm. And if he, he's about to figure out that the disclosure advocates, uh, like Paradigm Research, uh, Stephen Bassett, you know, people that really want to move this disclosure thing forward and release all the dirty secrets that have happened for 70 years by this small group that's in the know on UFO truth, um, when he, when Trump figures out that that's a voting block worth capturing, he'll suddenly believe in UFOs. 
Right, right. Because that's his pattern. Uh, Dr. Phil said it best, you know, the best predictor of future behavior is what? Past behavior. Right. And whenever he figures out that there's a voting block to be captured, he caters to that, no matter what their morality. He'll cater to the KKK, he'll cater to neo-Nazis in a way that's plausibly deniable. You know, oh, I'm not that, but, you know, I'm sure there's fine people in this group, you know. So he has a way of validating without actually coming out and identifying himself with that group, which, to his credit, is a skill. It's a con art, but it's a skill, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. he's a very good salesman. I mean, I once upon a time back in the 1980s, I sold used cars for a living. I'm not proud to say that, but I did because I didn't have a college education at the time. And you had a choice between minimum wage and selling stuff to people. And I was indoctrinated into the old school Zig Ziglar success to a positive mental attitude and uh um, that whole mindset, you know, where the, the, the great salesman, the greatest salesman in the world is, it should be the one that's in charge of everything. And, uh, right now I'm afraid that that's the case. You know, he probably is uh, one of the great salesmen in the world. And, um, he worked his way up to the highest office of the land, you know, for better or for worse. I, I hope that we can get through this period without any major disasters. Um, I'm well aware of the cluster of pathologies that he's had by reading the books on it. Um, you'll get uh, comments like, <clears throat> well, you know, everybody in academia is brainwashed by liberal professors, you know, stuff like that. So there's this whole right wing conspiracy that the entire university system is run by uh, Marxian socialists that are indoctrinating our children. When the truth is uh, there is a direct ascertainable correlation between higher realms of factual knowledge and liberal political views. I mean, that's, that's an insurmountable fact. So are there liberal professors brainwashing the kids or are they liberal because they know a lot? You know, I mean, it's, it's Mm -hmm. a good, it's a good uh, question to ponder. And the people that um, are against the university system and against uh, things like climate change and against all the things that science is telling us, uh, have just written academia off as quackery, and uh, they prefer Trump's tweets, I guess. Right. So I was looking at the description for this um, uh, President Trump answers questions on UFOs, and they have Nick Pope. So, yeah, they definitely have an agenda to come in and get the ufology people, so they pulled in Nick Pope. Uh, and the, to the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences. Okay, so that's over on Fox news and fox news is, has uh i guess tucker Carl, carlson likes ufos so he's probably promoting these ufo stories so they're they're getting wind of that being a direction to go because they want to appear like they know it all like they're pew we know it all and we're smarter and we're doing this because it's best for the planet yeah meanwhile people are starving and dying and <laughs> and the air is getting less and less breathable okay let's go back to our list here sasha first of all do you have any comments oh yeah it's obvious that, uh, that uh, trump is a stochastic murderer and a terrorist and that people die because of his uh, pronouncements uh, and but when I when I look at because I come from a a, a, perspe- a perspective a Jungian perspective is instead of this uh, demonization 
of the people that are running things, the people that are suffering. What, what I ask is, what are the needs of each? Can we meet the – and it looks to me like the needs of the people in power is to be respected and have attention and have affection. And that if we can meet at the level of needs, we can create strategies that work. That's And we don't have to give up and be into entire uh, uh, dualism in our society, but we can actually find the common ground, which is the love that we all have deep down inside. That's what I think. Well, you we- said a mouthful there. Uh, stochastic terrorism is very insidious because it's almost impossible to ascertain causality. You know, if somebody in high office gets up on a podium and says, I don't know, you know, maybe Second Amendment people will take care of it. There's no way that you could tie the crime of some nutty person that's on the fringe anyway, uh, taking that to heart and murdering somebody. Okay. And uh, you cannot trace it back legally to the person that made the stupid comment. Okay. But you know that it did cause that to happen. And it works the other way, too, like the TV evangelist getting on there and saying, I perceive that uh, there's somebody out there with stomach trouble. You say that to 10 million people, somebody's going to call in and say, hey, guess what? My tummy ache just went away. It must be your show. Um, <clears throat> people are listening. And the higher up in office you go, the more careful with your words you need to be. And um, I just expect more of a presidential figure than what we've seen in, in the last two years, uh, rhetoric-wise, because it's very irresponsible from my point of view. And um, I, I, I think uh, a 17% increase in hate crimes, for example, is a factual statistic in the last two years. That's coming for, from somewhere, and I just think it's the general the general ambiance of the times. Uh, anything goes, and, you know, this is the way it is now, you know. So people are taking that to heart and, you know, taking up arms. I think that's intentional. I think that's the agenda to keep us always uh, on edge fighting each other. They don't really care if they wipe out a lot of people because they have enough people, more than enough people for their agenda. So they don't care about the individuals. They don't care who's going to make it. In fact, probably at our age, we're all disposable units. You know, we're over a certain age. We're not... Uh, useful for them anymore. We're, we know too much. We're, we have wisdom. We have knowledge. It's better to get rid of us. So, uh, you know, if you think about it, they want to eliminate Social Security. Well, guess who's going to die? <laughs> the people that are on Social Security. They're beyond the age that they can go back and get jobs, even at Walmart. So they'll starve to death if they have no income. So we've got to look at what is the agenda that's being pushed on the population? The ideology. Look at the, um, the platforms of these individuals and where are they going? And so maybe not vote for a particular person, but what are the ideas that they're promoting and the attitudes? And uh, is this going to really serve yourselves individually and your family and your community? And we got to get smarter about this whole voting thing. But I don't think our votes count. I think it's all from my whistleblowers. It's already been decided. Uh, the world like they're going to have Trump again. Somehow, even though all this shit's going down. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, the Democrat candidates are being perceived by the right 
is just uh, buying votes and giving stuff away. I think the Democrats need to do a better job of explaining the rationale. Like when Andrew Yang talks about a thousand dollars universal basic income for every person, well, how will that stimulate the company? What's the rationale behind that? You know, it's not just more money will go into the system. Right right. now, we don't we don't have money in the flow, so the money will get spent because these people aren't rich. They're not going to hoard it. They're not going to stick it banks. The rich hoard the money, and the money doesn't go into the flow of the economy. The money will stimulate the economy. Uh, it'll keep it'll keep people off the street. Uh, you know, I think it'd it, it be better if you put like uh, you know X amount goes towards your house, towards your housing or whatever. But we got to get people off the street. It's just it's destroying our communities. It, you know, you've got hundred thousand people living in tents, and that's uh, not healthy. That's right. going to you know create disease and um, devastation for large communities. But, right. uh, you know, their story doesn't give a shit about all that. They don't care right. that we become a third world country in, in, you know, two years, three years. It, we go from something that was desirable to something like you got to escape. <laughs> so that's well, how you look at that. One thing that uh, people need to understand is that all politicians uh, operate a giveaway program. It's just they give away different things to buy votes from different people. Uh, the big corporation dollars that go into, say, a Republican's campaign, they're looking for a payoff. So when the Republican get a, gets elected, they do the big tax breaks that are in favor of the uber wealthy, and they get a big windfall. So... The poor, the working, and the middle class have been conditioned by the uber-wealthy to resent anybody in their economic boat getting any assistance. They call that socialism. But if all the money is taken from the poor, the working, and the middle class to give to the wealthy, that's fine. So um, there's there's a big uh, cognitive disparity there because all of the politicians are buying votes with various uh, giveaways to different populations. It just depends on which population you want to go to. I think we're not on the air. Oh, okay. will remain a dictatorship. Or be quiet. Why are you guys so anti-dictators? Imagine if America was a dictatorship. You could let 1% of the people have all the nation's wealth. You could help your rich friends get richer by cutting their taxes and bailing them out when they gamble and lose. You could ignore the needs of the poor for healthcare and education. Your media would appear free but would secretly be controlled by one person and his family. You could wiretap phones. You could torture foreign prisoners. You could have rigged elections. You could lie about why you go to war. You could fill your prisons with one particular racial group and no one would complain. You could use the media to scare the people into supporting policies that are against their interests. Tune in Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time for Liberation Nation with Deacon John, where America comes to hear the truth. I know this is hard for you Americans to imagine, but please try. Wexel Politics will be on from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Studio A. Mark Schneider will have guests on that will discuss many important topics, including the state of the world today. However, much of the show will be dedicated to the writings of Edward Albert Meyer. Let me read a short passage from one of his writings. Love is the highest principle of creation, and through it, everything exists in absolute logic. 
All of nature in its indescribable splendor is nothing but the love of creation which is expressed visibly. The love of creation is everywhere because without it, nothing at all would be able to exist. Please join Mark on Ohio Exopolitics from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Studio A. no secret that the so-called mainstream media is best described as controlled propaganda. Countless news stories are either totally ignored or spun with half-truths, and because of this, essential facts and vital information are often compromised. Join Dr. Ott every Friday night on Studio B at 10 p.m. Eastern and learn why the story behind the story was nominated for a Peabody Award in its second year of producing unparalleled broadcasting excellence in 1997. That is, if you really care about learning the truth. Transcending time and space, let us take you to the place inside your mind where thoughts divide and mysteries unwind. Join us every Monday evening right here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And you will catch the Fenton Perspective with our great host, Lorian Fenton. Come listen in as she shares her amazing stories from the past to present, along with all of her guest secrets to the future. That's the Fenton Perspective every Monday evening right here from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, only on Revolution Radio. Oh, and uh, you don't need to expect us. We're already here. Extendivite really works. Just listen to what some people have to say. Several years ago, I was developing a very uh, severe situation. I called it my flippy heart. It just was doing not good things. And I did not want to go to a medical doctor because uh, I just knew they would give me a cover-up pill. I didn't want to get onto that sort of thing at all. When I learned it was garlic and cayenne, and cayenne is a healer. It is a wonderful herb. I said, I think I'm on to something here. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be without it. It did wonderful things for me. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply of either capsules or liquid. Call now. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with the opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. <laughs> 
you're live now. Okay. Aloha and welcome back to Stargate to the Cosmos on Revolution Radio. And I'm your host, Jenna Carolison, with Dr. Sasha Alleklesson and producer Thomas Becker. And our guest is Russell Brinninger. And we're in the middle of this very intense conversation. But before we get back to our show, I'd like to remind everybody to please go over to that donation button on revolution.radio and make your donation. And... Please make a donation because I think we didn't do very well last month. And I want to ask a mad painter, how are we doing right now? The 9th of July. Uh, we're, we're not doing too great. Uh, we've only got $400 and we still need 2300 in order to make up for the deficit of last month. Come on, people. Come on down. <laughs> make a donation, please. All right. Sasha, where are you? You were talking when I took a break there so where, where oh, are we uh, yeah uh, it's, okay okay so so we uh during the break we were i was saying and because i i come from a background in uh, psychology my teacher uh, was carl rogers that we learned how to get people that had uh you know wars against each other to be able to communicate and uh what uh carl rogers trained uh facilitators did is they got together with, with Jimmy Carter, uh, Anwar Sadat, and uh, Merhin Begin uh, at the Camp uh, David, uh, and these grandparents got to know each other as human beings and talk about their grandkids, and they, they got to crying together. What kind of world are we going to leave for our leave for our kids? And, you know, Sadat said, you know, they'll probably kill me for this when we get back to Egypt, but I'm going for peace with Israel. And so this is a method that works. It's been demonstrated again and again. But what Russell was pointing out during the break is that the face-to-face communication that lets people feel each other and uh, sense each other as another human being, as an extension of yourself, as as a part of you, uh, is what's missing if you're only electronically dealing with the words and the and the pictures that people put up on Facebook. And then this introduced, we started talking about the works of Harari, and that's what you're going to tell us about now. <laughs> Back to you, Russell. Yeah, um, Yuval Noah Harari has written two really good books. Uh, one is called Sapiens, which is just a, a general <clears throat> uh, synopsis of the Homo sapiens species, and another one called Homo Deus. And Homo Deus was the one that really grabbed me. And um, he's pretty much uh, saying that we're moving into a different transition here with our electronic emergence. And <clears throat> when we start uh, experiencing things like computer brain interface and augmented intelligence, which we'll see in our lifetime, uh, even though we're older, I'm sure, that life as we know it on this planet is going to radically change. And the bottom line is there is no political system that's currently practiced that's appropriate for this new world. It's going to be an amalgamation of all of them uh, with different elements in it because as electronics and AI and robots take over people's jobs and no one is safe, um, they're even taking over doctors and surgeons and truck drivers and taxi drivers. No one thought just a few years ago that an autonomous vehicle was possible. And now uh, Amnon Sheshawal, uh, is um, saying that 50, 50 billion uh, autonomous vehicles would replace the 300 um, million 
maybe it's 50 million, uh, replace all the self-owned vehicles right now. So China's doing it and America is just thinking about it. You know, the possibility of a, an autonomous network of vehicles that will serve all of our public transportation needs. <clears throat> so as, uh, as well, this goes forward. Well, that's what Andrew Yang was saying. He said that their Silicon Valley is, is, um, going to take over the trucking industry industry it's all going to be automated you know cars will be automated no more uber drivers no more lyft it'll all be automated and it's going to happen pretty rapidly i'm, I'm watching a whole series of um time traveler things and it, it could be fiction could be real i don't know I'm, I'm not looking at it at that level i'm looking at the information they're conveying that they're coming back from the future and that these things are already changed. Like and these are these are about uh, two, three dozen of these time travel things with this uh, hypothetical future. So in the future, yeah, our governments are gone. It's one world government. AI's taken over. They said there's um that that, that our governments uh, are all the people defer to this AI. There's about ten people moderating the AI, saying yeah, it's a good idea. There, no, that isn't. But they they chunk it all because it has all. All the factors, it has everybody into consideration. Right now, decisions are made at the expense of, of some portion of our society, right? We can do this, but we don't care about that part. But AI takes all the factors, everybody in the world, and it has an intelligence far greater than any person, any individual, or, or any body of individuals, and it can calculate the win for all, the singularity. Where right. do we, where, what can we do? So that's already happening and it's supposed to in, in these future scenarios really happen by like 2028, uh, 2030. It's going to happen in, in the next five to 10 years. Like overnight, AO, AI takes over. <laughs> and then it's like, what do you do? You know, well, so that we have to rethink it. A lot of people, when you start talking about parallel timelines and whatnot, uh, put that into the category of woo woo. But, the theoretical physicists are talking about it seriously. Um, there's two basic interpretations of what we know about quantum mechanics so far. One is the Copenhagen interpretation and the other is the many worlds interpretation. And the Copenhagen interpretation basically says, yes, all reality uh, bubbles forth from an eternal probability field. But it's it's one reality, the one we're in, uh, whereas the many worlds uh, interpretation sees it completely different, that there's all these parallel timelines happening all at once. And you can even shift timelines in your current life just by changing your whole ambiance, what you focus on, your mindset, your consciousness uh, uh you can all of a sudden even elements of your past will be different, you know, which may explain some elements in what's called the Mandela effect that maybe mm -hmm. you can uh, shift parallel timelines. And my sense is, and this is just a conjecture on my part, is that both futures are happening right now in what we call the future. We've got Alana Freeland's depiction of the space fence lockdown where, uh, a group uh, seizes this planet as an asset, like you were talking about before. Uh, the mm -hmm. sky fence uh, has global surveillance down to the DNA level, and the humans are totally mind and body controlled uh, like robots um, by the people who are in charge. 
And some people say this is strictly a human group. Others believe there's an ET connection to this. Okay, and then the positive future, which uh, theoretical physicist Michio Kaku, uh, he's a techno-utopian uh, prophet, uh, along with Kurzweil and the others, think that, that, that global unification in a very positive way uh, to achieve a type 1 civilization uh, where – we come up with an, a system that works for everybody, that's fair for everyone, and uh, AI and uh, technology is uh, doing most of the what we call labor, and it's a beautiful world. And uh, we reconnect with our galactic cousins and uh, with a very positive future timeline. So I think both exist, and who populates those timelines, it just depends on where, where they're at mentally and, and consciousness-wise and what they focus on and what they want. Um, one of the things my own near-death experience sort of gave me the impression of is that the universe itself operates like Google. Uh, when you do a query, uh, when you focus on something, uh, magic things happen and, and windows open and things unfold and you go in a different direction. So my personal response to all of this is simply to ally myself as closely as possible with the positive forces that I feel do exist. Uh, the friendship group, for one, uh, demonstrated that a positive singularity is, in fact, possible, and uh, they have a presence here on Earth, and the negative ETs as well that want the space fence locked down and seize the planet, uh, that may be what they do throughout different galaxies, is seize planets as a planetary trade asset or a controlled system uh, for whatever reason. Maybe all the resources on this jewel of a planet are valuable to uh, higher intelligence that may have already merged with AI themselves. So there's some uh, what we would call ET agendas that are quite frankly uh, above human cognition to actually even comprehend. We get little hints of it. We know there's a good one and a bad one, but uh, that's about as far as we can go with the current brain that we're operating with. That's well, why that I'm ties looking in, Good. That ties mm-hmm. in with what I learned when I was born on, brought on board a sh- uh, mothership when I was four years old. They said that we can choose wherever we want to wherever we want to go. So it's like a, a super highway, all these timelines are are concurrent and you can, you know, shift and, and it is based on the observer participant that you know, based on our own um, desires or or where we're going as a soul, right? So if you start focusing more on positive things that you will have more positive experiences if you get into the if you go watch all the dark movies and Stephen King books whatever you'll start getting more dark outcomes to your life so we are the chooser is what the the bottom line was and if you're not experiencing the type of reality that you would like to experience and to start changing your mind literally your thoughts and you'll get a better outcome and so I don't know if that's what is correlating with physics, but that's kind of a summarizing what I learned when I was on board a ship. So they asked me to choose which timeline I like, and I was shown 24 potentialities, and I chose this one which was pretty utopian, and then I came back down onto the earth. Now, in my cosmology, my story that I've put together by analysis and evaluation and reflection – they, the Montauk project, the Philadelphia experiment, hijacked the reality. So, yeah, I can play victim. I, my reality got hijacked. But it's like on some level, maybe I went down that timeline and I'm on that timeline right now. Because um, the, the ones that you're playing like 
dark and dark extremes are pretty interesting, right? You get to be the hero and the villain and the emotions are more intense. And if you went through existence in a timeline that was pretty, you know, even kill and mellow. So we have to look at, uh, we're truly getting what we want on some level. And do we want what we're getting? I would add to that, you know, in existentialism, we, we say that your uh, intentions are manifest in your results. So you had a spiritual experience that changed you from uh, an everyday into somebody that had access to uh, something beyond uh, your uh, hundred years here in, in this embodiment. And that's sort of like is in Jungian theory anyway that's part of what's always there that's your that's this deeper awareness that was awakened by this experience of giving yourself a heart attack anyway that's I know it's circular reasoning but that's that's how things look to me anyhow I'm thankful every day for the heart attack I had in in 09 and it was a wake-up call that I needed and it it propelled me into a direction that I thoroughly enjoy right now um, it's changed me in a lot of ways. I pay a lot more attention to the animals that are in my care. I see them as fellow sentient beings. And I have a great relationship with Sadie and, and Mia, my little Yorkie Poo and Yorkies. They're, they're just magical little creatures that I spend a lot of time with that I value highly as uh, a fellow inhabitants of planet Earth. And no other man on the Earth has these two creatures in their life. So I'm the luckiest man in the world. And um, something you said, Sasha, in one of our previous uh, shows was that all this future stuff is good, but let's enjoy right now. And that actually impacted me. And I want to thank you on your birthday for that statement because I have actually taken that to heart. And I try to enjoy every little moment that only consists of a few nanoseconds at a time in our consciousness uh, that I want to be grateful for the things I have. And um, appreciative, you know, for everything that my life is right now and just live moment to moment. You can't completely live your life for some future event because that future event never happens. You know, right now is, is where we need to be. And um, what was shocking to me in my extensive talking online with people, various political and religious persuasions is when I describe the, uh, the type one civilization that, I personally would like to gravitate to where AI has taken over, you know, all of the labor that humans used to be able to do. And uh, there's no borders. There's no class division. Everybody can freely travel without fear all over the planet. I mean, we're all born here. In my mind, there's no such thing as an illegal person. Um, we're, we're all born to Earth. We should all have access to anywhere on the planet. We want to go live, work, whatever. And, um, when I got done describing what I consider a very positive future outcome, um, he called it a hellscape. And what it, made, what it made me realize is that not everybody thinks that way. You know, what, what a future scenario that, that one person wants to uh, focus their consciousness on and gravitate to may not be another person's ideal scenario. Um, he called they, it a hellscape. Did he, <laughs> he thought it was hell? Well, well I mean, he's, you, you know, he, no he's, borders, you don't have to get a, he just, a, he's, a he's a liber, libertarian that's really into the sovereignty of every country, uh, build walls around, everybody should build walls around the country and just have sovereign nations, you know, and that's his idea of utopia. Well, that's my hellscape, you know, so 
not not everybody's want to gravitate to the beautiful, wonderful future that you have in your own mind that you visualize. But guess what? Other people that share that vision will be there, and those are the people I want to meet. Right. Well, they say when we die, you go to a certain heaven that resonates with the life you live. So if you're a Christian, you go to Christian heaven. If you're a Jewish, a Jewish, you go to Jewish heaven. So maybe we'll have our own hellscapes. That could be the one is heaven for the other. Yeah. The the many worlds interpretation says it's all out there. So, you know, our minds are very powerful and what we focus on. Oh, that uh, your Harari goes into uh, some really interesting little rabbit holes about whether humans have a soul or whether we have free will and uh, quotes some experiments that Dr. Dean Radden has done where they can hook somebody up to a machine until before they consciously think to choose uh, button A or button B, which one they're going to pick. So it really uh, begs the question, who's really in control? If someone can determine with a machine the way the brain lights up ahead of time, which way a person's going to consciously choose, what function does consciousness serve, and do we really have free will or not? It's a good question. And um, then he goes into the idea of a soul. He says if, if animals have souls, then humans have souls. If if humans do not have souls, then animals don't have souls. And he says let's say that uh, a soul was imparted on uh, human evolution at some point. Um, that means that the first human being born with a soul had parents that had no soul. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is kind of which is kind of a funny scenario, you know. And uh, you know, my hey, parents that kid have, is strange. It's got a soul. My what parents have no soul. It'd make a good T-shirt. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that are in the realm of contemplation now in mainstream science that were once considered the domain of uh, charlatans and uh, wishful thinkers, and it's all because of quantum mechanics in the 1930s. With the advent of quantum mechanics, objective reality flew out the window. We knew from that point forward that we live in an observer-dependent reality and um, a lot of uh, mergence between science and old spiritual traditions are are finally uh, coming to pass and being seen as a unified whole. So we live in exciting times where that's happening. Wow. Okay. We've got our list. What more do you want to say on that before? Oh, you want to talk about uh, whether the euphonauts are angels or demons? <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like good enough. <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, let's yeah, okay. There's a there's a whole host of people in the field of ufology out there that are of fundamentals Christian bent who are saying that the UFOs are demonic, that the euphonauts are demons that there's nothing good to be had. Discourage your children from getting involved with ufology. It's all bad. Okay, and this is very different from several decades ago because in 1975, um, Reverend Billy Graham wrote a book called Angels, God's Secret Agents. And in this book, he uh, provided his own personal belief that some of the flying discs that were being seen all over the world in 1975 are, in fact, piloted by angels. So in the 1970s, the fundamentalist Christian religious thinking was that the euphonauts were angels, and somehow or another this has been poisoned and changed into the euphonauts or demons. And uh, the people who ascribe to the euphonauts or demons motif will point out all of the 
injuries that have occurred uh, from nosebleeds and concussion type injuries to radiation burns to flesh melting off your skin, which is in the case of Hoeo Philho Prestes. I think it was 1946 when that happened in Brazil. And exposure to gamma rays, exposure to actinic rays, Kleeg's conjunctivitis, and all the maladies that uh, people have uh, been exposed to by coming in close contact with what's commonly called a flying saucer. Okay, the people who think that angels are piloting the UFOs are saying that all these maladies are accidental. Or let's say in the case of Cash Landrum, let's say the uh, person in shadow named Falcon in the 1988 UFO cover-up live was telling the truth uh, when he told Cash, Betty Cash and Vicky Landrum that the diamond-shaped craft that they encountered was a gifted alien craft piloted by humans who were trying to make a nuclear power plant work, and it was going awry. And the helicopters were Project Red Light, who came and escorted it off, you know, into off, off the public awareness. And they even replaced part of the road because there was some tangible evidence there of such a crap. So there's people that, uh, you know, still ascribe to the, the idea that you have to either label them angelic or demonic. It can't be anything in between. It can't be both. It's got to be one or the other. And uh, the uh, people that ascribe to the demonic motif have their whole set of rationale, and the people who ascribe to the angelic realm uh, have their... Um, the healings that happen when someone's encountered with NHI, non-human intelligence, or a craft thereof. There's plenty of cases like that. Preston Dennett just wrote a book about UFO healings, and the free organization, uh, Renario Hernandez and the late Dr. Edgar Mitchell, are compiling cases of healings and positive, uplifting, spiritually enlightening uh, experiences with contact with NHI. So the only conclusion really in my mind, is that both exist. Uh, what the Bible calls angels and demons, uh, Islam calls the angels in the jinn. Uh, William Bromley, the author of The Gods of Eden, called the custodial versus the maverick group. Uh, Kiel labeled it the alpha and the omega group. There's one faction of ETs out there that loathe humanity, care nothing for us, and using us for their own purposes, and the other takes an interest in our spiritual evolution, and is trying to get us through this uh, coming milestone of a technological singularity, you know, with uh, minimal trauma and damage. And uh, so the consensus out there is that both exist. There's different ET groups, different agendas, but there are sub-factions that want to ascribe uh, to the UFOs uh, a demonic origin or an angelic origin, one of the two. And it's all very interesting. Right, right. And I think they're complex. <laughs> you know, it's complicated, right? And then you the get into Tom DeLonge and the To the Stars Academy and the recent revelations, uh, Christopher Mellon, people that have uh, gone on record, Louis Elizondo, uh, saying UFOs are real. Uh, they all thought we would panic. Well, as it turns out, they made the announcement and it, and it came without uh, fanfare. It just came and went. And some people didn't get the memo. But the U.S. military has just announced that there's structured craft here in our atmosphere from time to time that defy physics as we currently understand it and that we humans did not build. And, and what do you think's behind that? It's like, are we so numb? <laughs> we just don't pay attention. There's well, yeah. so much information, information yeah. overload. Yeah. Well, there's people that I know of a scientific bent 
that listen to what I have to say and listen to what uh, a lot of the ufologists say, but they reserve judgment and they're defiling it away because they need more tangible proof. They know and acknowledge that there's high ups in the government, governments, officials, pilots, very credible people, astronauts, Gordon Cooper's off-flight of flying saucers in 1955. He's talked about it. He's filmed a flying saucer landing. But without the tangible proof in their mind, it's hearsay. Okay, now, little do they take into consideration that eyewitness testimony and circumstantial evidence is what our courts require to send a person to their death in the electric chair. Okay, that's evidence than there is for UFOs. Okay, you can logically conclude, based on the information that's in the public domain, that there's a core element of the UFO saga that is absolutely tangibly real. But for, for tangible physical proof, uh, to come forward is what a lot of these people are waiting for. And an announcement from the military, there's always the suspicion of intent. When the military announces something, the immediate suspicion is they're promoting their own agenda, which is perpetual war and more money for the military. So if we announce that UFOs are real, uh, that sets the stage for Dr. Greer's fake alien attack that a lot of people think is coming. Um, it uh, provides rationale for funding of the military into the billions or trillions of dollars to weaponize space because UFOs are real and they're bad and we need to defend Earth from them. So it's going to have to come from somebody besides the military, I'm afraid, for some of these right. folks that know. And I told them, I said, you know, if President Trump or President Obama, whoever is current president, marched on stage with an alien gray or somebody from another galaxy, they would immediately call it fake. It was CGI. Uh, they ha- they're up to something. You know, I can't accept it. I mean, I really don't know what it's going to take, you know, for some people to realize that our atmosphere is incurred upon from time to time by objects that appear to be physical objects that are not from here. You know, where they're from That's is... That's the ones that appear. They don't always have to decloak, you know? Right. Now, Keel goes into a lot of uh, rejection of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. He was vilified by ufology for this. He coined the term ultra-terrestrial. And Keel, in his line of thinking, believed that there is an indigenous aerial race that co-evolved with mankind that exists in an adjacent realm that we don't know anything about. And they're disembodied entities. Their intelligence level is unknown, but they're attracted to psychics or people with second sight based on their aura, okay, because that's all they can see. And they they absorb the energy from that person's aura and transmogrify their energy into a temporary physical object that dematerializes through rapid atomic decay. Okay, that was the that was the worldview that Keel presented in Operation Trojan Horse, the Eighth Tower. He also said something really interesting in the Eighth Tower that at the end of the book he comes out and kind of goes over the deep end and speculates that there's a machine, an alien machine, located somewhere on Earth that's producing a lot of Earth's so-called paranormal phenomena, and kind of uh, hints at the idea that the Kaaba in Mecca might be such an uh, alien AI. He didn't want to come out and say he believed that, but he sort of hinted at it in the Eighth Tower. Now, in England, the Eighth Tower was accepted and you know applauded, but over here with Don Quixote leading, leading the rails with uh, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, his Eighth Tower book was uh, rejected pretty much. So he didn't attend 
John Keel didn't attend UFO conventions or anything like that. His observation was that there's kind of a circus that follows, you know, that has the people that are selling their wares and uh, uh, telling their stories and they're enjoying their 15 minutes of fame or whatever. He shied away from all of that and just wanted to stick to the facts as an investigative journalist. In, uh, but his, uh, his weirdest book, The Eighth Tower, is one I would recommend for people because it really goes out there on a limb. But he talks about computers coming to age and computers uh, uh, becoming sentient and computers running the world and uh, moneyless world. And it's all there in his Eighth Tower book. Interesting. Another interesting Sasha. thing. Is, uh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I want to hear another interesting thing. Okay, another interesting thing. Whenever I speak out loud to anyone who doesn't necessarily share my own personal worldview about a unified globe, especially if it's run by AI, they are horrified and they automatically assume that I am somehow connected with the evil cabal that's taking over the world. Okay. You evil cabal person, you. <laughs> now, the evil cabal may exist, okay? They may have an agenda of their own. But just for clarification's sake, I am not now, nor have I ever been affiliated with an evil cabal. <laughs> I want only good things for the future of humankind. I want us to snap out of our territoriality. Uh, everybody living in each country needs to do their part to overcome their government's brainwashing the nationalism that was endowed upon them from birth, that theirs is the greatest nation, their political system is the greatest, uh, they have to protect themselves from the rest of the world. We need to stop being afraid of each other. And the world that I envision does not have borders, does not have money, it's run by AI, and everybody's cool with it. Uh, they're free to uh, do their art, do their poetry, develop their relationships, travel all across the planet. They're connected to other ET races. It's a wonderful thing in my mind. But just like I said before, other people do not share that vision, and that's not where they're going. So I would invite anybody that shares such a positive post-singularity world vision to hop on board, and I would like to meet you there. This body oh. that I'm in right now is going to croak within probably 10 years, statistically. And I'm looking forward to the realization of, uh, of this scenario. That's where I want to go. Next. Well, one of the things that, one of the things that we have to realize is that we're born at a time where we may not croak. <laughs> you know, things are different. That's true. Um, People who are, what we do. Harari points that out, that there are people alive right now that may see their 1,000th birthday. And yes. that brings up a whole other thing because right now they're able to, I think, you know, replace the heart, replace the lung, you know, replace limbs and everything like that. Pretty soon every organ in the body is going to be replaceable. Okay. But it costs money. I mean, it's very, very expensive and there's 7 billion people in the world. So how in the world are we going to implement these technologies to each and every person on Earth? It seems like a phenomenon that's going to, at first, until the whole system changes and we get away from the idea of money altogether, uh, the domain of the uber-wealthy. Now, right now, there's enough of a, a class friction going on between the poor, middle, and working classes and the uber-wealthy, people who have billions and billions of dollars. Uh, 
we don't need to add the element that they can now become amortal and live for thousands of years on top of that. But they may but be already doing that for all we know. They could be. How many uh, hearts is Laura's forehead? Well, now you're Did introducing. Hey, the rock of what, uh, you know, uh, some oh, of these yeah, really rich people have replaced their hearts several times already. Uh, right. You know, right. it could lead to a body snatching, you know. Right. Well, uh, so it's make a clone of you so you don't need to body snatch. You just get your clone mates and then you have your own replaceable organs with your own Janet, clone. Janet hit upon something just now that may, in fact, be going on. Even conservative ufologist Richard Dolan is on board with this idea that there's some sort of breakaway civilization that already exists, that already lives in a post-singularity world, and their issue is that they can't bring it to a world of 7 billion. There's a faction that doesn't want to, and then there's an alliance faction that does. Now, whether that's actually going on or not is open for speculation, but I think it's uh, significant that somebody that's as conservative in their approach as Richard Dolan is has accepted the core idea of that, that since we brought the uh, Nazis over in Operation Paperclip, and they all became card-carrying Republicans, by the way, um, that a breakaway civilization has, in fact, occurred and that there are people who are human that already have augmented intelligence, who already live off-planet, and they're enjoying a life that we can only imagine. So these, these civilizations that have, they're so far advanced, this is nothing to them. See, we're trying to figure this out through the lenses of what we have in this time. And, and this society is so primitive compared to what exists out there. So, you know, think about it in their terms. They're already doing all this. And I don't think it would be very – it wouldn't be difficult at all to do it for 7 billion people or 8 billion people. You know, it's just a, another thing. But it's this whole – and it goes back to who doesn't want us to get this technology? Who doesn't want us to have this? And that's that goes back to your – are they good angels or, or good ETs or bad ETs? So we're, we're dealing with this whole picture here. But I think it's going to come to the head soon. And we're going to figure this out, and that's probably why we're we're experiencing things like the soft disclosure, right? We have this um, this announcement that we've been working for forever <laughs> that the UFOs are among us, and people are going, eh, you know, because we've been conditioned for so long, starting with the day the Earth stood still in 1951, all through, you know, we have all these these movies about contact and it's just we've been conditioned for the last 50 years that this is just a reality so it's like ah yeah big deal i knew it all along so i don't think it's gonna be that difficult i think it's gonna happen and blow your minds and um and it's like oh yeah so what we know that we know that from science fiction one of the things that seems to be a consensus within ufology whether the person leans right or left politically or whatever, is that we've had help technologically. Um, mm-hmm. In 1997, the best we had was a computer that uh, beat the world champion chess player. Okay, fast forward 20 years, and we now have uh, D-Wave quantum computers making calculations between parallel worlds who are talking to one another, connected to a large hadron collider that's accessing parallel worlds, and... 
personally, I don't think humans are smart enough to do that in 20 years. And there's there's a lot of uh, good sources, a whole list of them, that are testifying that we have, in fact, had help. Right. So are they helping us in a good way, or are they part of the evil agenda that's going to circumvent the singularity for their own purposes? Rudolf Steiner actually talked about such a thing in the 1920s. He spoke of uh, something called the Eighth Sphere, that there was an alien race interacting with Earth that was converting, in his words, he said, snatching biologicals whenever they can to convert them to mineral, which is basically machine intelligence. So even back in the 20s, great thinkers like Steiner postulated or felt strongly on a sensory level that there was a uh, the other, a population that were converting biology into technology and uh, for their own purposes and sort of using biological mankind for that purpose. So the idea has been around for quite a while. And then um, when you bring in people like William Bromley with the custodial race versus the maverick race, one of which is using us for their own purposes and one that's trying to help us, it all seems to point to this idea that the universe is a computer and trying to figure out over eons of time uh, something about good versus evil. Right, so there's the bigger game. <laughs> yeah, there's the bigger so game. So we we got these micro your- games going on. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Vykalov actually uh, proposed one of the simplest explanations for the Fermi paradox that I've ever heard. He just thinks that human life's on a different wavelength than the aliens, that they've all achieved uh, intellect, uh, becoming a intellect, uh, which is like merging with the Internet and becoming conscious and a uh, collective hive mind along with the uh, planetary energy, and that we're in an incubatory universe. And that's why with our telescopes and everything, we don't see life out there because we're about to become a scintillect ourselves. And at that point, when we reach the uh, omega point, we'll be able to interact with other scintillects on a completely different vibrational wavelength of reality. It's a really good, really good book you wrote. That's a good theory, yeah. Sasha, what do you think about all this Okay, uh, well, you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting. The way I sort of I look at things, uh, S, S with S, uh, uh, above, so within, and so below, and so everywhere else, too. And uh, it's, uh, it's interesting that we, we have uh, inside of us, I think, the key to everything in a way, so that if you're concerned with the greed of the Illuminati who's taking everything, the critical thing for me is to get to the part of me that is affected by that and say, well, what part of me is uh, greedy, okay, acquisitive, and what's the opposite of it? Because that's also inside. That's the shadow of it. So that's generous. So I take greedy and generous, and that allows me to have what we call a center or an aware ego. And I think everybody is capable of that, and that's how we can make contact with extraterrestrials or interterrestrials or uh, everybody on this planet, I hope. I'm looking forward to it. I even thought that um, merging with AI or augmenting human intelligence might be absolutely necessary and prerequisite to even understanding mm-hmm. who our visitors are. Yeah, they, yes. they could be they could be operating on a realm so beyond human cognition that it won't be until we can do computer brain interface or whole brain emulation that 
we even are able to cognitively comprehend who they actually are. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Think they are. What's your theory? Well, I think humans have the mistaken notion that they are the pinnacle of evolution when in fact we are an entry level intelligence. I think there's intelligences out there, uh, they would call them Artelex or Senelex or um, beings who are billions of times smarter than all humans put together. And um, their macro view of the cosmos is something we can't comprehend. I like Dolan's example of uh, the dogs wondering where their humans go when they drive down the driveway every morning. And we're sort of in that boat. <laughs> we're in that boat, you know, we're – we, we can observe higher intelligence. We see craft materialize and dematerialize and do all kinds of crazy things that we can't do. But we uh, are only uh, speculating as to who they are, where they come from, or what they really are. It's almost like Earth is a cargo cult. Uh, it's just like the cargo cults from World War II where they uh, an airplane would fly over uh, to a, a tribe that had never seen an airplane, and they referred to it as a metal bird. And even within the tribe, you know, you got the witch doctor who claims to be in touch with the pilots of the metal bird and uh, the vendors who are selling effigies of the metal bird. And uh, we were, they really don't know what the metal bird is or what its purpose is or who's inside. And Earth is <laughs> – Earth is currently in that boat regarding flying saucers, you know. It's like, okay, we, we, we know it's there. You know, we can see it with our senses. It does weird stuff, but the intelligence behind it is probably a little beyond uh, what our human brain is capable of understanding. Where are they going? It is funny. You know, and – you know, some of the uh, UFO skeptics like Neil deGrasse Tyson, they accidentally say things that are right on the money. Uh, I, I was listening to a video of Neil deGrasse Tyson. He says, hey, aliens could be visiting us right now. We might just be too stupid to know it. You know, he said a mouthful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, Neil. <laughs> I think that's true. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> Uh, you know what, what Freud said: the, the neurotic act always contains within it whatever it's meant to deny. And so that's what I hear Degrassi is is uh, you know he can't give his materialist thing without dropping the opposite uh, in the course of it, as though it's an aside. Yeah, one of the most fantastic thing of uh, coming to an understanding that there is a non-human presence on earth quite frequently is um, knowing that the finest minds on earth grapple with this, you know, and, and, and fail, you know, from Stephen Hawking to Tyson to Bill Nye, the science guy, uh, he got his rear end handed to him on Larry King. I don't know if you've seen the episode where no, what happened? Oh my God. Uh, Robert, uh, um, the solace and, uh, Bruce Jacobs, I believe is his name, that saw uh, the Vandegraaff Air Force Base, saw the flying saucer circle around the fake warhead and disappear. He got all upset with Bill Nye. Bill Nye was trying to uh, uh, propose that everyone at Maelstrom was drunk when they saw the flying saucer, when the, when the men shut down, that they had been drinking. And uh, Jacobs got visibly upset with him and just tore into him. And it was really worth watching. 
if you just, uh, oh, if you go to YouTube and watch, uh, yeah, watch, uh, Bill Nye, Larry King, it'll pop up for you. It's fun to watch. Bill Nye and Larry King. Okay. Yeah. We'll he really, <laughs> he really gets grilled. Yeah. But yeah, the, the finest minds on earth that, uh, the prove, prove it to me people, you know, the, the UFO phenomena is beyond their comprehension. And instead of the UFO phenomena being beneath them, it's actually quite above them. Uh, we may actually have been exposed to some alien artificial superintelligence from time to time uh, that did crazy things. Like in 1954, there was over 1,000 flying saucer landings and occupant reports. There were so many of them that uh, mathematician Amy Michelle plotted them on a map. He came up with the straight line mystery, how in the center of the reported sightings, there was a cigar craft, and then there was the little disc sightings that formed these little star patterns. And uh, he wrote uh, Flying Saucers and the Straight Line Mystery. I think he calls it orthotinny. So <clears throat> there was a very patterned, systematic phenomena that happened in 1954 in France that came and went. And, you know, who knows, you know, we may, may be talking about an alien ASI that had a mission that we can't even comprehend that exposed itself in a weird way to humanity and then left. So, so say that again, that this happened in what year? Uh, 1954 in France. There was over a thousand, uh, uh, close encounters of the third kind, I guess what you call them, uh, where the flying uh -huh. lands and little occupants come out and, uh, the witnesses report. Uh, both landed discs and uh, occupants exiting. And there was a whole rash of them in 1954, so many that Amy Michelle plotted them on a map of France and found out that there was star patterns to it, that there was a method to the madness. It wasn't just, if it was a random uh, viral rumor or, you know, mentally ill people talking crap, you know, whatever, you wouldn't see a distinct pattern like uh, what he was able to ascertain. Wow. So there's lots of ways that anybody of a scientific bent can uh, come to their a very solid personal conclusion that there's a core reality to the flying saucer phenomenon. And uh, it's amazing. When I started searching in the public domain, I was completely blown away by how much information is actually available at the public library and uh, on Amazon and, uh, you know, personal testimonies. Uh, there's historical documentation going back thousands and thousands of years ago. Um Pastor Barry Downing, Downing wrote the, the Bible and flying saucers, the paleo flying saucer sightings that uh, Alexander the Great saw and Ezekiel saw and uh, the ghosts of Enchi Emoto. And um, there's quite a few paleo sightings that are quite interesting. So it's it's a phenomenon that's been with us forever. Uh, it's, time, yeah. it's on ancient cave paintings, 40,000 years old. See stereotypical gray aliens, uh, marked on, uh, cave walls in France. Let's look at this. Are we living in a virtual reality realm? Okay. Well, that goes back to James Gates and his assertion. And he actually exposed this in a debate to Neil deGrasse Tyson that there was computer code embedded in the mathematics that described the physical universe. And it kind of blew Tyson away. He goes, you mean, you mean like computer code? He goes, no, computer code, ones and zeros. It's not only ones and zeros. It's a particular type of computer code discovered by Claude Shannon in the 1940s. So <clears throat> if you go back, assuming that the Big Bang model is accurate, 
there's several different uh, parameters that had to be set with such a degree of precision that each and every parameter has a chance of 10 to the 80th power against it happening by accident. But for all six of them to be hit just right and hold steady for billions of years, that's completely beyond the uh, uh, possibility, scientific possibility of it being a random occurrence. So you can pretty much uh, ascertain with confidence that the material universe is an intentional creation. The big question I have is whoever created it thought that uh, basing it on predation and survival of fittest was a good idea. And that reminds me of uh, something Charles Fort said back in the 1920s, that if there is a universal mind, must it be sane? You know, the very nature of the mind that would create such a realm, uh, you really have to wonder, you know. Right. Elon, so, let me Elon Musk, uh, you know, he recently right. stated it's at least 50-50 that we're living in some sort of virtual reality system. Uh, there's a lot of people coming forward, uh, very intelligent, very high-level, very scientific people that are saying, yes, we're more than likely living in a virtual reality system. Now, does that mean it's not real? No. The consciousness that's inside every little sentient creature down to little uh, grubs that eat at the roots of grass and don't know anything beyond that world are real, but it's the physicality that's temporary and what you could actually call either unreal or real but temporary as opposed to an eternal timeless reality. Mm -hmm. Right. So even though it's a a synthetic reality, it's real reality because it's real. It's very real to us. Well, it would seem everything. It would seem that we're supposed to treat it as real, whatever its true nature is. Greg Braden has a really good series right now on Gaia on the missing link about the uh, uh, simulation hypothesis. And what his take on it is, is that this realm was created by a post singularity version of future humanity. And they're trying to get into a realm that requires this current avatar-like life experience and the lessons that we learn here to go where they need to go. And that strangely ties into the law of one, the raw material uh, from the 1980s, Carla Rucker, who said that each one of us has a higher self living in a sixth density reality in what we call the distant future. So Nick, it's, it's amazing to me that Nick Bostrom's simulation hypothesis that believes we're in a post-singularity futuristic civilization that's running ancestor simulations in a VR environment matches what Carla Ruckert said in the 1980s in the Law of One material. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, we're, we're in this virtual. So, then how do you get out of it or do you want out of it or, or are we here as choosers in this reality? Yeah. So it's like a game and we're trying to figure it out. And yeah, I think, I think when you, you can, figure it out, you're yeah, dead you can, or something. You can red pill yourself, you know, get yeah, out, you get out of the matrix and, you know, go to a different reality. After this, uh, you focus on it enough. After this body dies, you find yourself in, you know, where you want to be. And I think that's where we are, where we want to be. Yeah. They're probably – Mm-hmm. On a higher self level, we could have anywhere in the universe to be, and we've chosen to be here, right here on this radio show, right here on Revolution yeah. Radio. Listen, so. uh, uh, I'd like everybody listening to this show to buy um, Overlords of the Singularity. It's really a cool book. It's it's the, it's you got to read this to be hip on what's happening. And uh, Russell has some websites too. 
Yeah, this is the yeah. time to tell. Yeah, we have two more that. minutes before we're off air. Okay. Go ahead, Russell. Well, the book itself is a uh, book that was published in 2016. It's currently on Amazon.com and Barnes and Noble. On Amazon, you can get it in a Kindle version that's got WhisperSync technology, the text-to-speech, if you like books read to you. So it's sort of like an audible book, only it's a mechanical voice. Or if you want a printed version, it has very nice cover art. It's a nice coffee table book, and it's 545 pages. So whichever way you want to get into the material, uh, I like to say it's it's if somebody just wants to read one book about UFOs, it's it's a good one, the one that I wrote, because it has all the classic sightings in there in chronological order from the, you know, before the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, you know, up through the present day, everything you need to know about the classic sightings that got everybody's attention and put themselves on the map, and all of the uh, theories from the geophysical theory, the intelligent geophysical theory, the ultra-terrestrials, the extraterrestrials, all of the theories that are currently ascribed to by various ufologists you can find in those pages. It's really good. It's a Sasha. wonderful book. <laughs> plus, I give my own, plus, plus, I give my own uh, near-death experience and uh, experience in a haunted house, and it goes into ghost types. I actually got into ghosts before I got into UFOs. It was Kenneth Ring's uh, Omega Project that got me to make the leap from ghosts to UFOs, and I found out there was a huge metaphenomena going on that connected all of these so-called paranormal uh, manifestations. Yeah, a lot of uh, people have uh, connected the ghosts to um, UFOs. It's like they, when they're dead, they, they see the relatives on the UFOs. And I yeah, think there's the even... Drivers... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, we're out of time. Thank you so much, Russell. Thank, Thank you, you, Sasha. Thank you, Matt. Thank Bates. you. A blessing and aloha. Aloha.
Oscar's freeze. That's your cerebral cortex looking for an answer it doesn't have. See? Even your brain knows you're screwed. The guy is filling with adrenaline right now. Whether you know it or not, the heart's beating fast. It's getting a little harder to breathe. The neurobiological system is telling you to run. But your knees are too weak to move. Fear is not real. The only place that fear can exist is in our thoughts of the future. It is a product of our imagination, causing us to fear things that do not at present and may not ever exist. That is near insanity. And do not misunderstand me. Danger is very real, but fear is a choice. We are all telling ourselves a story. Listening to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. 100% listener supported radio. Reporting to danger. Unafraid. Right here where information never sleeps. Revolution. Revolution. Radio. The original machine had a base plate of prefamulated amulite surmounted by a malleable logarithmic casing in such a way that the two spurving bearings were in a direct line with a pen.